I used to have oatmeal every morning with the banana, walnuts, peanut butter, and chocolate chips. Then I started learning about the role insulin plays in weight gain and thought, is oatmeal even good for weight loss? Is it really as healthy as I've been led to believe? Or is there a healthier breakfast option that will help me shed the rest of this baby weight? This episode is going to answer that question, teach you how to reverse insulin resistance with diet, and give you the 15 best foods for insulin resistance. If you want to skip straight to the foods, they are at the end of the episode, but I do encourage you to listen to this entire episode. That way you can understand the reasoning and determine how other foods not included on this list will affect your insulin. Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, geriatric physical therapist, weight loss coach, and passionate disease prevention expert. I used to struggle with emotional eating, sugar cravings, and consistency. Then I learned how to lose the mental and physical weight once and for all with a low insulin lifestyle. Each week on the Reshape Your Health podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies to help you do the same. If you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Before I dive in, I want to quote Dr. Jason Fung when he says in the obesity code, obesity is a hormonal, not caloric problem. We don't have too many calories. We have too much insulin. Insulin is your fat creation and storage hormone and is a major determinant of your body set weight. But without insulin, your blood sugars would become dangerously high and your cells would actually starve to death because it's harder for glucose or energy to get into your cells. That's what insulin does. That's why a hallmark sign of type one diabetes is wasting away weight loss with high blood sugars and a ravenous appetite. They eat and eat, but they still lose weight because the fuel can't get into the cells without insulin. So insulin in and of itself is a good thing. We need it to move energy into our cells. However, too much insulin for too long will lead to insulin resistance, which is at ground zero for obesity, diabetes, heart disease, Alzheimer's, and more. Your food choices play a huge role in your overall health and choosing foods that help keep insulin low is the key to living a low insulin lifestyle for long-term weight loss and disease prevention. Once I stopped worrying about calories and started learning about how different types of nutrients either increased or decreased my insulin, food choices became a lot clearer. Foods I once thought to be healthy, like my morning bowl of oatmeal and a banana, I learned actually spiked my insulin and weren't helping me lose weight. I want you to have crystal clarity about how different foods affect your insulin so that you don't have to rely on someone else or worse marketing to tell you if a food is healthy or not. You can decide for yourself based on its macronutrient composition and the ingredients. There's so much conflicting and confusing information online about how to lose weight or how to get healthy. And my hope is that you start using how will this affect my insulin as a litmus test for if what you're reading is true or not. Use that question to filter all of the information online to find information that is based on up-to-date science. So if you've been religiously eating your oatmeal or Wheaties or Special K or whatever other high carb, low fat, low protein breakfast item you like, and you're not seeing the weight loss you want, you're in the right place. 
And if you feel duped after this episode, like how is this not taught in high school? Don't be too hard on yourself. I studied nutrition, exercise, and health science in undergrad. I went through a doctoral level physical therapy education, then completed a geriatric residency and still hadn't heard of insulin resistance until I started looking into things on my own. I would bet most primary care physicians either don't know about insulin resistance or they know about it but also know it takes way more work to fix than a pill or 10 minutes of counseling so they don't bother pushing the topic. My hope is that by creating videos like this and interviewing experts, we can create a grassroots effort to fundamentally shift the way we think about weight loss and disease prevention in a way that focuses on insulin, not calories. Millions, if not billions of dollars from big food companies have been employed to get you to believe that eating their food will aid your health or waistline in some way to boost their profits. The repetition alone of the low calorie, low fat diet approach to losing weight makes it seem so true. But no matter how many times I say two plus two equals five, it's still not true. No matter how many times you hear about how eating low fat, low calorie, or eating less and exercising more is the way to lose weight, it's still not gonna be true. I believe that knowledge is power and that when we know better, we can do better. If you've been following the typical eat less, exercise more, low fat, low calorie advice to lose weight and you're not, and your doctor isn't giving you better advice, you're in the right place. I've heard from members just how frustrating it is to get the same general advice and hollow praise to keep doing what you're doing when what you're doing clearly isn't working well enough for you. So to appreciate the foods I'm gonna share with you toward the end of this episode, you need to understand the three primary ways that insulin is released in the first place so that you can reverse engineer your diet to keep insulin low. The first thing that impacts when insulin is released is eating food. Food is made of various combinations of three different types of macronutrients, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Here's a picture that shows how each type of macronutrient affects insulin. Fat stimulates the lowest amount of insulin, protein is moderate, and carbohydrates, specifically starches and sugars, are the highest. As a brief overview, there are three main types of carbohydrates, fiber, starch, and sugar. Fiber does not stimulate an insulin response, and actually it helps slow the digestion of your foods, so it slows the insulin response. The more pure and refined carb, so think white flour and sugar, the more it stimulates blood sugar and insulin, so the more fattening it is. The most common cause of excessive insulin in your blood is eating a diet that's high in refined starches and sugars, a lot of times from processed foods. If you're eating things like pop, dessert, candy, or other sugary beverages, bread, pasta, bagels, or again, a lot of fast food and processed food that contains that refined flour and sugar, you're elevating your blood glucose so much and so often that your insulin levels are constantly stimulated. The second thing that can stimulate an insulin response are some artificial sweeteners. You may think that diet pop, other diet drinks, or artificial sweeteners don't contribute to weight gain because they don't have any calories. But remember, the caloric model of obesity was wrong in the first place. 
The research shows that many artificial sweeteners don't help with weight loss and can actually contribute to weight gain. The reason is that some artificial sweeteners, especially sucralose and saccharin, raise insulin more than regular sugar. I'd like you to think of artificial sweeteners, no matter what type they are, the same way that you think about sugar. Try to just eat a little at a time and not too often. If you do like artificial sweeteners and you want to include them in your diet, which I do, I recommend using stevia, erythritol, monk fruit sweetener, or xylitol because these ones don't appear to raise insulin. You may be wondering, how can artificial sweeteners stimulate insulin when they don't have any carbs and have a minimal blood sugar response? I thought blood sugar was what caused insulin to be released. So how can insulin be released without an increase in blood sugar? Great question. And the answer to that lies in something called the cephalic phase insulin response. Cephalic is a fancy term that just refers to your head and anatomy. This occurs when insulin is released in the first few minutes of a meal before your blood sugar levels rise. The cephalic phase insulin response lasts for about 10 minutes and is caused by the anticipatory sight, smell, and taste of food. It's enhanced by the chewing and swallowing of that food. This insulin response is triggered with some artificial sweeteners, even though they don't have any calories, which is why they don't help with weight loss. So it's time to get rid of that diet pop. Along with the cephalic phase insulin response, the other mechanism that stimulates your body to release insulin even when it's digesting things like protein and fat that don't directly raise your blood sugar levels are called incretin hormones. Food in your stomach is going to trigger these two hormones, primarily glucagon-like peptide 1 or GLP-1 and glucose-dependent insulinotropic polypeptide, also known as gastric inhibitory peptide or GIP, to be released by your stomach and intestines, and these hormones will raise insulin levels. So that's an overview of the three ways that insulin can be released. Meal timing is a really important and commonly overlooked factor regarding insulin release. In the caloric model of obesity, when you eat doesn't matter. It's all about the total calories or points that you eat in a day, but this isn't true. In fact, when you eat and how often you eat matters a great deal. The more frequently that you eat, the more insulin is released. Even eating something at different times of the day will impact your insulin response differently. Let me explain. You're more sensitive to insulin during the day versus at night. So having a higher starch food like a sweet potato will likely have a lower blood glucose response if you ate it for lunch rather than for dinner. That's why I try to keep my nighttime meal to a lower carb option because I know that my body is less sensitive to insulin, meaning more will be required to bring my blood sugar down again after a meal. With all of this information in mind, let's reassess my morning bowl of oatmeal. I started tracking my macros in Carb Manager, and if you've never tracked your macros before, I talked about it more in this video and provide you with a step-by-step -step instruction guide to get started at weightlossforhealth.com forward slash macros. I'm gonna show you in real time how I would log my morning oatmeal breakfast and assess it using the nutrition reflection questions that are located in my program. All right, so I have logged into Carb Manager. 
Again, if you want training videos for how to get started with this, you can go to weightlossforhealth.com forward slash macros, and you will learn how to set up your account and use it. So I would log my breakfast here. I would put in oatmeal. There's all sorts of different ones that come up, that pop up. And I would just use um, a regular serving, which was a half of a cup. So I'd add that. I would typically cook it with water so I don't have any milk or anything to add there. And then I would put a whole banana. And I would do about two tablespoons of peanut butter. Probably a tablespoon of chocolate chips. And I'd also do honey now that I'm thinking about it. We'll add a little bit of honey there. So essentially I used to have sugar and more sugar and more sugar and more sugar. Uh, probably about a teaspoon. Just a little drizzle. Okay, so let's take a look at the macro breakdown of my breakfast. It was mostly carbs. <laughs> it was from what I aim for now, I try to do around, oh, it says 65 here, but most days I'm like between 80 and 100 grams of net carbs a day, unless it's like a more of a fasting day or a low carb day. So 64 grams of carbs, 23 grams of fat, only 15 grams of protein. So it's no wonder that come midday, I would usually then be craving more carbs because my blood sugar and insulin would spike up um, and then it would drop back down, so leaving me hungry. So if we look at yesterday, this is just the smoothie that I've been having lately. Um, if we look here, just how that compares, pretty similar on the calorie count. I would want more fat in this smoothie normally, um, but I did it with berries instead of my half, I would put half of a banana and some peanut butter in there for some more fat, but a lot more protein, a lot less carbs in my breakfast now than it used to be with my oatmeal. So that, that was kind of the first thing that I swapped out was my breakfast. And I thought, how can I have a lower carb breakfast? And that's really what got me started on my low insulin lifestyle. So I hope you found that helpful. If I wanted to lose the PT school weight that had crept on, plus the baby weight that I had after my first child, I knew that the morning oatmeal and banana would have to be replaced with a lower carb, higher healthy fat and protein option. Over the years, my go-to low carb breakfast has fluctuated, some between a smoothie, chia seed pudding, or an egg scramble. And I have a free resource for you with my favorite low carb breakfast recipes. I'll be sure to link that in the description for this episode. So to finish up, let's talk about the 15 best foods for insulin resistance. These would be foods that are high in fat, protein, and fiber. While you may be thinking, hey, I thought that protein caused an insulin release, I wanted to point out a couple of things here. 
First, your muscles need protein. Your muscles are a huge place for glucose to be deposited and used for energy. The more muscle you have, the more sensitive you are to insulin because you're gonna have more room to put that extra glucose. So think of your muscle mass like a garage and your car like glucose. If you have a little muscle, you have a one car garage. If you have a lot of muscle, you have a three car garage and you can fit in three cars. So the more muscle you have, the more glucose you can tolerate with less insulin. But if you don't fuel your muscles with adequate amounts of protein, that is about 30 grams per meal, you're gonna lose them. Especially as we age, we need to prioritize protein in our meals to slow the muscle loss that comes with declines in hormone and activity levels. Plus, protein is very satiating and will help reduce your carb cravings later in the day. The real question in my mind is not low carb, high fat, or high fat, low carb. It's high fat or high protein, or both. We know that low carb is the healthiest option for insulin resistance and disease prevention, especially for the 85% of adults that are already insulin resistant. So let's wrap up this video with the 15 best foods for insulin resistance based on their high healthy fat, high protein composition. And I like to over deliver, so I'm gonna give you more than 15 here. Just do a little mental inventory on your diet and ask how you could start to swap out insulin stimulating foods with some from this list. Starting with fats and oils, you're gonna have avocado oil, extra virgin olive oil, coconut oil, and ghee. For dairy, you're gonna to wanna to choose the full fat options, and I know that that might seem counterintuitive to what's popular online or what you see on the major websites, but if you're watching this episode, that means that the traditional advice isn't cutting it for you. So full fat dairy it is if you don't have a dairy sensitivity. That would include butter, unprocessed cheese, cottage cheese, full fat Greek yogurt, and cream. For protein, you have all meats, so grass-fed if you can. We do a lot of beef and chicken and salmon in our house, but I also like pork and turkey. If you're vegan or vegetarian, tofu and tempeh are great options here. And include eggs with the yolk as well. For fruits and vegetables, a helpful tip from Dr. Bickman's book, Why We Get Sick, is to eat more vegetables that grow above ground versus below, like potatoes. A few of my favorites are artichokes, asparagus, avocado, olives, and bell peppers. Now this is not an all-inclusive list, just some of my personal favorites. And this is also not an all-inclusive list of what I actually eat. I just try to eat more foods like this that keep insulin low and less foods that spike it. I try to reduce snacking and I use moderate intermittent fasting at least 14 hours a day. Moderation in everything is key to make it sustainable. You have to learn how to lose weight the way you wanna live the rest of your life. That's how it'll stay off. My goal is to be the middleman between you, your doctor, and your optimal level of health. I understand that your primary care physician or provider may not have the time to offer you the nutritional, lifestyle, and behavioral counseling that you need to get healthy, but I do. That's why I created my program that teaches you everything you need to know to live a low insulin lifestyle. To learn more about the program, you can go to weightlossforhealth.com forward slash join. That's weightlossforhealth.com forward slash join. And to make this episode actionable, I wanted to share how I work to get 1% better each day. About once a week, I'll think about my nutrition and what needs tweaking to stay on my low insulin lifestyle track. 
It might be that I need to focus on late night snacking that week or adding in more healthy fats and a little bit less protein. For me, I love protein, so I have to watch that I also include enough healthy fat. So this has taken me years to really master and I'm okay with that. I truly believe that the best way to make something sustainable is to figure out your own path. My program just gives you the blueprint to get there faster than I did. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode and feel motivated to work towards creating your own low insulin lifestyle, maybe starting with your oatmeal too. So I'll talk with you at the same time, same place next week. Bye for now.